This morning, we were talking about uh, what are the obstacles that prevent us from being connected to uh, others, and what are we horrified at in terms of our behavior. So before we uh, continue, perhaps you have some questions or things that you would like to discuss about that. The question is about an example about scientists who uh, speak in front of the, present something in front of, of, of the audience and these facts which he or she presents might uh, uh, stimulate negative emotions from the audience. Extreme example is Jordana Bruno, for example, who, who spoke about these real facts, but people were angry uh, for, of, because of that. So the question is, uh, in this case, should uh, it, would it be a um, constructive uh, act, act of behavior when a person speaks something which is truthful, but at the same time um, may, might stimulate anger uh, from, from uh, other people? Or it's kind of mixture of constructive and destructive behavior? Well, that's a complex issue, actually, if we start to analyze. On the one hand, we have um, the definition of a uh, destructive type of behavior, and that is a way of acting, speaking, or thinking that is motivated by a disturbing emotion. So anger, greed, arrogance, jealousy, and naivety. So if the person was just giving this uh, information out of arrogance to show how smart uh, he was, then uh, that is uh, destructive. And if he was doing it uh, in order to make the people angry, that also is destructive. But uh, when we speak about naivety, naivety underlies uh, both uh, constructive and destructive uh, compulsive behavior. So the person could have been had good motivation that wanted to uh, help the uh, people, instruct them, inform them, and so on. Uh, and even if it wasn't an ego trip to demonstrate how you know, smart I am, uh, it could have been with naivety about uh, the effect of how the audience would respond and not discriminating between what uh, would be uh, appropriate for the audience and inappropriate. That's naivety. And maybe the person didn't even know what would what you know the level of the audience would be and what their response would be that's often the case you know people aren't ready for the most part to uh, deal with uh, hard cold facts that's an idiom I'm sorry with uh, statistics my assistant loves statistics and no matter what we do he quotes statistics facts and uh, every decision that we need to, be, to do, to make, has to be based on statistical analysis. And I confess that often I get quite impatient and annoyed with uh, just uh, quoting statistics all the time. Fortunately, he's not here at the moment. <laughs> and although he might be correct, I don't check his statistics, but uh, nevertheless, my, uh, you know, 
you have to analyze the annoyance if you're in the audience. That's what's interesting. The annoyance, would, the annoyance could be because I don't want to hear this because it destroys my belief, which is based on just I think so, which has no basis, of course. But uh, also uh, uh, the fact that uh, um, not everybody operates on a rational basis. And there's the emotional, irrational basis of people's behavior as well, despite the fact that statistics say that people act in this way or that way. So the skill for the speaker in this case is the appropriate tone of voice. It shouldn't be the tone of voice of you're stupid because statistics say this and this and that. That, of course, you know, elicits uh, um, annoyance and anger on the other person, on the part of the person. They become very defensive. You know, statistics say this and this and this, and what you think is stupid. That type of uh, presentation of, of, you know, statistical facts is going to annoy anybody. So this is why uh, one of the great uh, uh, characteristics or qualities of a Buddha is skillful methods, knows how to present the facts in graded doses according to what the person is ready to understand and with a uh, wonderful tone of voice and method of, of explaining it that uh, doesn't get the, cause the other person to become defensive. That's very difficult. So presenting facts by itself is neither constructive nor destructive. Everything depends on the motivation and the method of uh, delivery. The skill that's used for it. The question is about the term refuge. Uh, you usually translate it as a safe direction. Mm -hmm. Is it the translation of the same word, refuge and safe direction? And if yes, could you please uh, uh, show how to translate it? How to well, the uh, I translate as safe direction primarily because it uh, is the uh, connotation of it. It's not the literal translation. It's uh, the word itself, sharana, or kyap in Tibetan, sharana in Sanskrit, means uh, protection. The problem, or the challenge, is that the expression with which it is used is to go toward protection. Now that's very awkward to say in uh, our languages. I go for refuge is how it's usually said. And go for refuge, I don't know, I always found that uh, a little bit odd as an expression in English. I don't know what, it, what it's like in Russian. I mean, it always sounded to me as though I go toward, I mean, the word I go for refuge, that I go to something like I go to a store to buy milk. So I go to the Buddha, and the Buddha is going to give me protection, give me refuge. But it's not something passive like that. It's not intended to be passive. Because uh, we have causal and resultant uh, refuge. Causal is uh, the, uh, those who have attained enlightenment, so Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, you know, they've attained it on their side, but then there's the resultant in which is we uh, so-called go for refuge to our own attainment of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And that hasn't happened yet. So our own attainment of Buddhahood 
has not yet happened, and that not yet happening is imputed on the causes for it. Causes will give rise to our enlightenment when all the conditions and the buildup and so on are complete. But they have the potential to give rise to our enlightenment. So that's referring to our Buddha nature factors. That's why I always start with prostration to those who've attained enlightenment, our own future enlightenment that we're aiming to attain, and our own Buddha nature that will enable it. It's based on that. I mean, that, that way of doing refuge and prostration is based on this analysis of causal and resultant refuge. So how can I go toward my future enlightenment, which hasn't happened yet, or to my Buddha nature, and expect, you know, just to stand there, and they're going to give me protection. That doesn't make any sense, to go to them for refuge, right? Remember, refuge has the connotation of protection. So we go in that direction, seems to work with uh, all these different meanings, and by going in that, that direction, we provide protection to ourself. Protection to, now this is the meaning of the word dharma, to prevent ourselves or avoid suffering. That's what the word dharma means, a preventive measure, something to prevent. Literally comes from the word to hold, like to hold back, to prevent something happening. So that's my reasoning for using go in a direction and it's safe and positive, safe in the sense that it prevents us, you know, we avoid creating more samsara, more suffering for ourselves. So all of this is based on my experience that uh, a lot of people find that uh, you uh, reach a certain plateau in you know, Dharma study because of the jargon. And you don't really go past the jargon of uh, what it actually means. Then, of course, my assistant would say, well, what are the statistics for that? And I don't have statistics. It's just I think so. So I confess, just I think so, based on uh, my own experience and the few people that I've spoken with, I don't have statistics to back that up. I mean, he's right, but still, I think so. <laughs> okay. Any other questions? So the question is, if I follow this and uh, at a certain moment, I feel that everything is good, everything is good at family, everything is good at, at, at work, and like the person who is climbing uh, on the top of the mountain, and if, for example, this person achieve uh, this top of the mountain, and then the only way to go is to go down. Uh, so the question is, uh, what, what could you advise in this case uh, for, uh, for, the, for the person if the only way to go is to go down? Well, that doesn't uh, necessarily follow, that uh, if we're talking about a, a path to enlightenment, or a path to liberation, that uh, this is uh, going toward a state which is going to be stable, which uh, once it's attained, there is no falling down. So that means that uh, we achieve a true stopping 
you know, the third noble truth, the true stopping of all the causes for going back down. So there's no possibility of regressing. And that's something which is uh, very difficult to become convinced of because it's based on the understanding of the natural purity of the mind, that it is not naturally stained or adulterated by these causes for our problems. So one of the vows, actually, along the path is never to be satisfied with our understanding. You know, go further and further, all the way to liberation and enlightenment. Because uh, one of the characteristics of samsara, you know, uncontrollably recurring problems, is that it goes up and down. And things can be going really, really well for quite a long time, and you think, well, I've really gotten over getting angry. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes into your life who is the most annoying person you could imagine. And all of a sudden, you know, after many years, you start getting angry with this person. And I can tell you from personal experience that happens. And the only way to deal with that is eight verse mind training. This person is like a treasure who has come into your life to show you, you know, to teach you that, you know, you thought you really had gotten somewhere, but still a long way to go, buddy. <laughs> My statistician, yes, the statistics person, you, you got it right. <laughs> all my beliefs, all my policies, everything that I did, I had to prove with statistics, and there I was with no statistics, just based on, well, that's what I think so, and I got very annoyed. <laughs> but my great teacher, very, good, very helpful. <laughs> So are there any examples of people who achieve this state of mind when nobody is able to annoy them? Uh, are there some of these kind of people in our contemporary life? Well, His Holiness the Dalai Lama says that he still gets annoyed. <laughs> and I think he's probably the most highly developed person, but he says he only stays annoyed for you know a few seconds, and then it gets over it. So I think that is the direction that we want to go in, that getting annoyed doesn't last very long. You know, we get over it very, very, you know, more and more quickly. Think about it. It makes such sense. Beginningless time, right? So that's a long time. And we have built up a habit of ignorance, anger, all these sort of things forever. That's a really, really strong habit. And how often have we you know, what's the, so that has a lot of strength behind it. And how strong is the habit of patience and love and, you know, wisdom and all these other things? Very, very weak compared to beginningless anger and ignorance. So with all our practice, it gets back to neuroplasticity. We're trying to build up stronger and stronger the positive habit and weaken the negative one. But to completely obliterate the negative one, that's very tough. I mean, all you can do is through a process of getting it weaker and weaker and weaker and getting the positive habits stronger and stronger. So it's, it's quite a gradual process. So in the beginning, 
what's helpful is to try to avoid the conditions, the circumstances that are going to trigger the negative uh, habits from coming up. I mean, this is why 37 Bodhisattva practices says when it's too tough, you know, where you have lived and, you know, where you've grown up and everybody causes you, you know, to get completely angry and attached and so on, it's good to leave for a while. So avoid the, the circumstances that trigger all these negative patterns. So then you work on the positive habits. And of course, there's going to be these are uncontrollably recurring patterns. So it's going to manifest again in someplace else, wherever you go. But still, you have this opportunity to put more emphasis on the positive, building up the positive habits. But when you reach a little level of stability, come back to the challenging situations. Then you see really how much progress have I made. And you want to be challenged because then it shows, you know, still what you need to work on. That requires a lot of courage. And so the uh, way in which the Tibetans translate bodhisattva into Tibetan adds one syllable to it, which means a hero, courageous one. It takes a lot of courage to face our disturbing emotions, our destructive behavior, and not to just be satisfied if we've gotten a little bit under control, but to really Persevere, go fully. The word for perseverance in uh, Sanskrit, virya, is uh, <laughs> related to the word vira, which means a hero, right? Which has, it's related to our English word virile, you know, the masculine strength, hero type of thing. And this is what it requires is, you know, heroic courage to persevere and not give up. Don't give up. Just because things are going, going well doesn't mean that somebody's going, you know, that nobody's going to come into your life to challenge you again. And when they come, welcome them. <laughs> Difficult. <laughs> yeah. The question is about Sutra and Tantra. Sutra, we, we call Sutra as a um, path of cause, and Tantra is a path of, path of fruit mm -hmm. uh, and path of, path of result. And uh, and uh, it was discussion that from one point of view, it's possible to achieve enlightenment only practicing sutra and it takes three three eons. And, but at the same time, in Lama Tsongkhapa's uh, work, Nagrim Chenmo, it's, called, it's said that uh, it's possible to achieve enlightenment only by practicing uh, uh, Tantra and it will take three kayas. If you if one doesn't practice three kayas, it's impossible to achieve enlightenment. Is this understanding is correct or not at all? This approach to this uh, problem. It's a uh, an issue really in uh, Buddhism, I must say, in terms of uh, internal sectarianism. Each of the tenet systems are going to say that uh, through this understanding you will attain liberation or through this understanding you will attain enlightenment. And then the next tenet system, which declares itself to be more profound, not based on statistics, but uh, based on, <laughs> you know, this is more profound, 
says that, well, you can't really go all the way with the previous one. It's a step along the way, and you want to go deeper, you need this. Their understanding. So we uh, have uh, these tenet systems, and even within the Mahayana tenet systems, you have sutra and tantra. And within tantra, we have the different classes of tantra, and everyone claims that you can achieve in the Mahayana systems enlightenment through their this level of understanding. So I call that a little bit the internal sectarianism. So that's very difficult to, uh, what should we say, pin down with statistics. You know, my dear friend, <laughs> an assistant has brainwashed me into believing in statistics now. And uh, where are the statistics that say that uh, with the Chittimatra understanding, you can only get so far, and if you want to go further, you really need Madhyamaka. You know, did Tsongkhapa base his uh, uh, conclusions on statistics? Or just, you know, from his experience? I don't know. I mean, I suppose the... Uh, I mean, it's interesting. If you look at Shantideva, Shantideva points out that... Uh, you know, youth, speaking in terms of the uh, uh, Hinayana systems, when they say that through the understanding of impermanence, and the four, no, you know, the four noble truths in terms of its characteristics, so impermanence, that'll get you liberation. And Shantideva points out, well, that gets rid of the rough, disturbing emotions, but hey, there's still some subtle ones that are left. So this is one of the tests to see, you know, have you really achieved you know, true stopping of the disturbing emotions, or is there a little bit left? So if we look at what Tsongkhapa says in terms of sutra and tantra, he says that uh, the prasangika view, the way that he understood it, which is completely different from the way that everybody else understood it, you know, Tsongkhapa was an unbelievable revolutionary. So his, you know, what became the glupa view of, of uh, prasangika, that uh, this is held in common with both Sutra and Tantra. He said no difference between the two. And in fact, it's exactly the same to attain either liberation or enlightenment. Nobody said that before. He said you need exactly the same understanding for both. But uh, in terms of Tantra, he was saying, he was speaking about Anutra Yoga Tantra, the highest class of Tantra, not the other classes of Tantra. And he said that uh, uh, once you reach the 10th Bhumi, you know, the 10th Bodhisattva stage, just before enlightenment, at that point, you need to access the clear light mind to get rid of the most subtle level of the obscurations preventing omniscience. Oh. At that point, it has to turn into uh, the... Uh, what should we say? You have to be able to access the clear light level to really and stay with it, you know, forever in order to really get rid of these uh, habits of grasping for true existence. For that, you need a Nutri Yoga Tantra methods. But, and whether that, you know, there are statistics to back that up or not, I have no idea. But it makes sense in terms of theory. You know, will it automatically happen? Do you have to actually practice the Nutri Yoga methods for it to happen? I don't know. 
And Kate of J makes, uh, one of Tsongkhapa's disciples, makes a big point of saying that uh, uh, all the Anutra Yoga Tantra systems are equal in being able to bring you to enlightenment. It isn't that you know, one is better than the other, you know, that one gives you a better enlightenment than the other, despite the fact that each is going to say, we are the king, you know, we're the best. You say that to give people encouragement, but that doesn't mean that one system is better, you know, Kala Chakra is better than Guhya Samaja. That's where he, he states that. So we go back to Sutra, and then this is what, a little bit of the point that I was starting to make before, which is that uh, we have from beginningless time these negative habits and hardly any strength to the positive ones. And even if we get a correct intellectual understanding of voidness that doesn't uh, uh, free us, you know, there's no way you can get a non-conceptual cognition of voidness just on an intellectual understanding. You need a tremendous amount of positive force behind that, you know, renunciation, bodhicitta, these type of things. So if we compare beginningless uh, buildup of the negative habit and a few hours of meditation on the positive habit, obviously, we're not going to get rid of the negative habit like that. So thinking like that, it makes perfect sense that we're going to need three zillion eons of building up positive force, which is a small amount compared to beginningless time for the negative force to overcome the negative habit. Makes sense. Whether we're counting, you know, well, one year, one eon, you know, and counting up, that's not the point. Point is that it's an unbelievable amount of positive force. You know, if you think of merit, that sounds like points, but positive force to overcome and obliterate this beginninglessly built up negative habit. How else are you going to get rid of that? Right? I mean, how arrogant to think that, well, I've done 100,000 prostrations. Now I'm never going to get angry again forever. I mean, come on, that's pretty arrogant, isn't it? Even if we've done the prostrations perfectly. So <laughs> my point is, yeah, great courage. You know, I'm going to do this, you know, forever. Not forever, but three zillion eons, I'm going to do this. You know, don't be naive. And, okay, it says, well, you know, final stage, you need to, you know, get to the clear light mind. Well, that's not going to happen for no cause. If we don't have that positive force built up either, you know, culminating in this lifetime, then the final steps, yes, you can do in, you know, three years and three phases of the moon. But that's symbolic. Get to that clear light level of mind. There's no simple task. It has to have tremendous positive force. So yes, you do mundro. But that's just, you know, a drop in the bucket in terms of the amount of positive force that you need to overcome these beginningless negative habits. The, this thing of three years and three phases of the moon comes out of Kala Chakra. The text says you can attain enlightenment through Anutra Yoga Tantra in as little as three years and three phases of the moon. Right? So what does that mean? 
right? I mean, it says this in other tantras as well, but the reason why that number is given comes out of Kala Chakra. In the course of uh, a day, the breath flows, alternates 12 times between going primarily through the right nostril and the left nostril. When it makes the transition, one breath, called a deep awareness breath, goes into the central channel. And if you take a 100-year lifespan, the number of breaths that would go into the central channel during that time is 21,600. Therefore, if this is the same number, Kalachakra loves to have all these, uh, what should we say, correspondences of numbers. You have 21,600 drops of immutable you know, bliss stacked in the central channel, then you're going to, you know, once you already start to get non-conceptual, you get to the clear light mind, then you're going to attain enlightenment. So the number is the same. If you take that number of so-called deep awareness breaths and you were to stack them next to each other consecutively as if you had it every moment, the amount of time that that would uh, cover three years and three phases of the moon. So based on that symmetry, it's said that you can attain enlightenment through an Uttar Yoga Tantra you know, within three years and three phases of the moon. It doesn't mean that literally. Yes, if you stacked 21,600 drops of immutable bliss consecutively, you know, each moment for three years and three phases of the moon, yes, you would attain enlightenment once you had reached the clear light mind. Thank you very much. <laughs> so one has to understand what all these numbers mean, why they have these numbers. And uh, then one realizes you have to put in a tremendous amount of work, no matter what. But very difficult to really, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going on and on and on with my bad habit. Um, <laughs> so excuse me. But it is said that uh, when you reach a certain stage of uh, the complete stage of an Uttar Yoga Tantra, so-called isolated mind stage, at that point, if you've been practicing a Nutri Yoga Tantra with a Chittamatra view, you will automatically switch to a Prasangika view because it will become so evident from your practice that things can only be accounted for by mental labeling. Through your practice, you will come to this realization automatically. Your view will switch. So that makes me wonder if when you reach the 10th Bhumi, through sutra methods, if automatically you would switch, you would get to the clear light mind, you know, a Nutri Yoga Tantra style, automatically it would happen, or do you have to go through, you know, generation stage and, you know, all the stages of complete stage and, and so on, starting at that point to attain enlightenment? I don't know. I don't know. These are questions that, uh, you know, could ask the Dalai Lama or somebody like that. 
because you have this with uh, uh, arhats, Shravaka arhats. There are, you know, a Shravaka arhat will have to go back if they develop the, you know, go onto the bodhisattva path after becoming an arhat. Still, they have to go through the five paths, you know, path of uh, accumulation or buildup. They have to go back to that. Of course, they go more quickly. So at that 10th Bhumi, do they have to go all the way back to the generation stage? I don't know. Interesting question. How does that happen? That at that point, you have to have a Nutri Yoga Tantra to get to the clear light mind, to get rid of the subtlest of the subtle obscurations, preventing omniscience. So now I've gone way, way off into uh, advanced theory. So bringing it back to uh, our own practical experience, the question really is, where do we start our Tantra practice? If, in the end, somehow we need this uh, Tantra level, that's really the question, isn't it? And we could wait until we've gotten super far in Sutra before starting it, we could jump prematurely into Tantra before we don't have a good sutra basis. These are very important questions. So this comes back to Lam Rim. We could study Lam Rim in a traditional way, having no idea what comes next. Yeah. You know, start with just the initial level and have no idea of intermediate or advanced level. But nowadays, there's too much available. so. Most of us, you know, have read something, so we know what the scope of the path is. Yeah. So we can think in terms of, okay, I'm heading for the advanced scope. I'm heading for Mahayana. And as I do the initial scope, what is the importance of this initial scope in order to be able to reach the advanced scope, Mahayana? So we're always keeping the, the rest of the path in mind. Obviously, to help others, this is what I've been, how I've been approaching it here. To help others, I have to stop acting destructively. So I want to stop acting destructively, not only because it hurts me, but also it hurts others. It prevents me from helping others. So you keep the goal in mind. So what is the real significance of Tantra practice? If that's what we're aiming for, because it's so well known now, Tantra and particularly a Nutriyoga Tantra, highest class. So what is the essence of it? To be able to visualize myself with a lot of arms? So what? Is that what all my practices aim for? That's the ultimate aim? No. The essence of a Nutriyoga Tantra is transforming the process of death, bardo, and rebirth in order to be able to access, in a similar way, the clear light mind and generate from it form bodies of a Buddha, rather than the forms of bardo and rebirth. Sambhogakaya form and nirmanakaya form. That's the essence. That's what it's all about. Okay, so if we have some idea of the whole path, that's what we're aiming for, even from the beginning, then we start with initial scope. If I don't believe in rebirth, if I don't start to really consider that seriously, to transform death, bardo, and rebirth make, is total nonsense. 
So I really have to start thinking about that and really start to examine what is it all about, rebirth. And then basic uh, initial scope. If I act destructively, I'm going to get worse rebirths. I don't want that. I want to be able to get rid of this whole rebirth issue. Transform it. So from the very beginning, then we are working with that aim in mind of what Tantra is going to, to actually work with. So if we just want to improve things in this lifetime, which is what certainly where almost all of us begin with our interest in Dharma, we want to make our, our life a little bit better, you know, perfectly fine, what I call Dharma light, perfectly fine. We don't need Tantra for that because we don't really have the scope to be able to, you know, what are we doing with these visualizations? And then it very easily just becomes an escape into fantasy land. So either we start realistically, I want to see from Dharma, what could be of benefit to me in this lifetime? Wonderful. Dharma has tremendous things to offer for that. Great. If we're going to be interested in Tantra, it needs to be the real thing. Real thing, Dharma. Rebirth. All the things that uh, Tantra are involved with. So if we're going to be interested in Tantra, then as my teacher, Sirkin Rinpoche, always said, well, be serious about it. You know, it's no game. Be serious. Start from the beginning. Know what you're getting into. Okay, so I'm sorry, I just went on and on, but uh, not based on statistics, but just based on, I think that this is a benefit. Maybe it's of help. <laughs>